0: Thank you, Miss Gill. Thank you so much for that. If you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. In a little bit also, we're going to flip over and look at Ephesians chapter 2. So we're going to look at two different scripture passages today in our Bibles. We are in a church-wide campaign right now called Who's Your One? So I want to explain to you about our service today. It'll be a little bit different but I know it would be very special to you. Also, if you have your bulletin, make sure you have a bulletin and your insert there. You want to pull that out because we're going to talk about uh, some of the different ways to practice evangelism in 2019. If you are sitting on the far left of a pew, so that mean, it means all the way on this side or way over here, you should have a stack of these. Now, we did this last week, but I know that people miss church. They always make it, but they need to make sure they have one of these. You want to look to the, if you're on the far left, you have some work to do. You need to pull your pack of who's your one cards out, pull it out, take one or two, however many you need for how many people you have, and pass it down. So if you didn't get one last week or if you brought it back, so you want to go ahead and do that right now. It's your homework while you turn your Bible verses. You, everybody should be passing one down. If you don't have one, you should be able to look around. They're all around you, these cards right here. <clears throat> what we're going to do, I'm about to preach a sermon here on uh, Matthew chapter 2 on the lost sheep on going after the one then at the end of, um, at the end of the sermon we're going to have our commitment time remember what you do is you write the name of the person you're, you're going to commit to pray for on this little on, on the side here that, that is perforated and also at the top that you can put in your Bible or, um, or put it on your mirror or your refrigerator and then at the close of the service I'm going to ask you to come, you know, this is our Lottie Moon uh, post office box, now it's the Who's Your One box, so it just transformed itself. At, at close, you're going to come forward, and you're going to write that name, and you're going to tear off the top part, and you're going to drop it in the top. And everybody who's going to do that, listen, if you have more than one people you're praying for, put three or four or five, you're, committ- you're giving these to God. You're saying, Lord, I'm going to pray for someone that does not know your son, and I'm going to make it public, and I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to be faithful. It's a commitment you're making, not to me or not to Broadway Baptist Church. You're making it to the Lord that you're committing to pray for a month leading up to Easter for your one, and you do. And There's scripture verses you can pray for. So I've been doing it. Sherry, our children have been doing it, and then what we'll do, after everybody comes forward and does that, puts it in there, then I'll invite our deacons forward, if you're an ordained deacon. Even if you're an inactive deacon, you can come forward, and I'm going to lead us in prayer, and we're going to pray over these names here. And then we'll have our invitation. So that's what we're going to do, have an opportunity to respond. So that's what we'll do. Make sure, if you don't know your name, maybe in the next 35 minutes, God will give you a name, and you'll be able to fill it out and in a little bit drop it in there. So we'll, we'll bring attention to these here in a, a minute. Hopefully you've turned in your Bible there, Matthew chapter 18. We're about to talk about the parable of the lost sheep. There's three parables that Jesus told where uh, people got lost or something was lost. The first one, is the most popular one, is the parable, parable of the prodigal, also known as the lost son. So obviously we all know that story. I've preached that. It's one of the most famous parables, if not the most famous in all the scriptures. And the younger son who was lost. Uh, is found by the Father who represents God. There is also a parable of the lost coin, where a, a lady loses her coin, she sweeps the whole house, she finds the money, and rejoices with all the neighbors. If you lose money, you're certainly excited when you find it. But there's also a parable here of the parable of the lost sheep. Now, when we think of a lost sheep and a shepherd, a lot of times we think of what I call... Hallmark Jesus. Hallmark Jesus, you know, during Christmas time or uh, maybe even during Easter time, you have those pictures of Jesus carrying a sheep coming down the mountainside, and the sheep, the little lamb, is right over his shoulders. And here's the good shepherd walking along carrying a perfectly looking sheep that has a big smile on its face. We found the lost sheep. Maybe that was your Christmas card this past year. Well, not too long ago, um, a shepherd actually found a lost sheep. And I have a picture of it. This is what <laughs> a lost sheep actually looks like. This sheep was lost for six years. Now, that's not a Hallmark card. That's not a Hallmark Jesus where it's a perfectly uh, good-looking uh, picture there. You know, when something's lost, when someone has gone astray, when something has gone wrong, you know, there's just a weight that they carry with them. You know uh, that man when he sheared his sheep, that's thirty pounds of wool right there. That was a lot. That sheep was carrying a lot of weight uh, on its on itself. But you know, in many ways, what we're going to see here in the scriptures, when someone goes astray, and the Bible uses that word "go astray," they carry a weight of sin with them. And there's people all around us. Maybe you're one that you're praying for has gone astray, and what you're doing is they have the weight of sin weight of disappointment, the weight of rebellion on them. And really, they need the shepherd to find them and to remove all that weight. That's what happens when Jesus saves you. He's taking this weight of sin, the weight of a rebellion away. So that is a more accurate picture of what a lost sheep looks like. And so with that, you know, this coming week, this coming um, Thursday, begins major league baseball. I know it's basketball season, but for the baseball fans out there, baseball season starts this week. Now, there's 30 major league teams, and this week they are excited. Brand new season, all 30 teams want to win the World Series. They are looking at their season thinking, you know, we're going to we've got a shot, we've got the pitchers, we've got the hitters. We're going to have a great year. But the truth is, if we fast forward four months, it'll be the end of July. Do you know what happens in Major League Baseball at the end of July? That's when the trade deadline's going on. That's when half the teams of those 30, 15, have already been eliminated. 15 of them, and usually the Reds are one of them, they have what they call a fireside sale. That's where you just give away all your players, because the season is lost. The season has been wasted. Now you're playing for your draft pick. Uh, if you keep losing, you can get a higher draft pick at the end of in the next year's draft. The manager gets fired. You're cutting your players. You're sending folks to the minors. The fans aren't even going to the games anymore. They're all mad. They're giving away their tickets. The stadiums are empty for those teams. Half the teams at the end of July, there's a sense of disappointment to them. But if you rewound, at the be- end of March, They were excited because there was a sense of hope and anticipation. And that's what we're going to see here. We're going to see that you go into something. A shepherd's got a hundred sheep, and he's excited about that. But one's going to get lost. There's always something. There's going to be that one that goes astray. There's that one team that's disappointing, or majorly in the majors. Half the teams are disappointing. And everyone can't be the Boston Red Sox, and they won it last year. So we're going to see here in the Bible what it, the story of what it's like when we lose a sheep. Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. See to it that you don't despise one of these little ones, because I tell you that in heaven their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If someone has a hundred sheep, and one of them goes astray won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and go and search for the stray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over that sheep more than the other 99 that did not go astray. And the same way, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Now, that last Bible verse here, Jesus kind of, he said it backwards. So it's God's will... In heaven, that no one perishes. That's what he's saying here in verse 14. God's plan and purpose for all this world is that there are no lost sheep. No one should be going astray. What it means in the Bible of going astray is going the opposite of what the Lord would have you do it's someone who's spiritually dead, someone who's lost, someone who does not have Jesus as their Savior. But what we see here in the scriptures is what he's ch- challenging us is we know in the Bible that Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the one um, is, that is described, especially in Psalm 23, which is a very popular psalm read at funerals, that he is a good shepherd that takes care of his sheep. And there's rejoicing even in heaven when one lost sheep, the sheep are people, when we have been found. What Who's Your One is about right here is going after the lost sheep. Do you know someone who's lost? Do you know someone who's not in church this morning? Or maybe they haven't been to church in years. Or maybe they are just in outright rebellion against the Lord. The Bible describes them as a lost sheep. The point of this parable is it's making a priority that in our lives, our priority should be what? God's priority is. And in verse 14, he tells us God's priority, God's passion, is that the lost sheep, lost people, get saved and come to know the Lord. Now, I want you to keep your finger here in Matthew chapter 18. I want you to turn your Bible over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Because when we talk about lostness, when we talk about the sheep that have gone astray and people who are spiritually dead. This isn't. I'm not just talking about someone who maybe they just grew up in church, and they went off to college, or they become a young adult and they now come to church on Easter or Christmas, or they come with grandma or mama whenever they want Mother's Day or things like that, and they still claim, "Yeah, I'm a believer," and 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 they could be. We're talking about people who are lost. The Bible describes lost people as in rebellion, in lostness against the Lord. There's not this middle ground of lostness. We are either saved and we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed by his blood. We are going to heaven. Or we are spiritually dead in our trespasses. And there's nothing good in us. I want to read these ten verses here. It's Ephesians chapter 2 starting in verse 1 because I believe these verses illustrate greatly of what the Bible describes to us moving someone who's dead, spiritually dead, to new life. Because I want you to know, if you start start praying for someone who is lost and they get saved, we're not asking them just to start coming to church. We're asking them to accept the blood, what Jesus did on the cross, to forgive them of their sins, and they have new life in Christ. The Bible describes that as a new creation. We're not asking them just to become a good person. They are becoming someone who's a believer, who then becomes a disciple, a reproducing disciple of Jesus. Look at how this is illustrated in the Bible, because we're also going to see here of who does the saving. Because when we hear these passages about the lost sheep and you know, the 99 that are on the hillside and the ones wander away, we think, if I could just go get that one, everything will be uh, perfect again. But the Bible's going to tell us it's not that easy. Getting the one is not just easy looking around the bushes for that one person. What you're engaging in, when you, begun, when you begin praying for a lost person to get saved, you are literally pushing back a spiritual evil foothold by Satan in their life. Lost people have been blinded by the gospel. They don't see it. They're spiritually dead. And you are asking the Father in heaven, this soul over here who's in outright rebellion for the Lord, God, do a miracle in their life. Salvation is a miracle from God. It is moving from the old self to the new creation. Verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world. Look at that. Broadway, lostness is worldly. There's a deadness. It's an old way of life. Previously, this is the old Daniel. This is when you lie, and you were immoral, use the Lord's name in vain. It's this old way and you were dead. Look what it says here. According to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. That means the power of the devil is working in their life. He's got their, he's a strong man Jesus described the devil. He's got their grip he's got a grip on them. We too all previously lived among them. In our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. Don't miss that phrase. We're children under wrath. Say well, what is this wrath here? That means the wrath of God, meaning God actually hates lost people. I know that's harsh word. That means they stand guilty. They stand condemned. They stand in exact opposition to the Lord. Someone who's lost is dead. There's no hope. This past week, let me illustrate this. This past week, I had to call um, the bank, and, um, and and I didn't know like my little online password. So you know, when you uh, fill out things, they give you like questions. That if you for, like their password forgetful questions, and I didn't know, uh, I didn't know the answer, so I had to call and talk to a human. Well, they had like three questions they asked me. Um, what's your favorite restaurant? You, I know y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, what is uh, what's your first pet's name? And then um, another was like, what hospital were you, or what city were you born in? And I knew that one, but the third one, I think it was it was the restaurant question. You know, your favorite restaurant changes every month. So your favorite restaurant might be this, but next month you like a new place. Well, I missed it. (coughs) I got the first two, and I'm moving along. I'm talking to a guy, and I'm trying to get approved so he sees who I say I am so they can answer my banking question. Well, I said one restaurant. I said, oh, no, I want to change my answer. I want want this one. He said, no, I'm sorry, sir. You can't change your answer. I said, no, I, mean, I know that, I know which restaurant it is. Is this one. This is the one I gave you. So I'm sorry. We're, you can't. I can't. I'm going to have to get off the phone you. have to call back. This is literally what the man says. You have to call back and start over again. That was a 20-minute hold to get to that man, to get there. I thought, no. And I was this close to answering the questions. Church, I want to tell you what judgment is going to be like for a lot of folks. When people stand before God, someone who does not know the Lord, they're going to stand there. And they're going to think, you know, I've lived a pretty good life. I went to church a few times. I kind of grew up in the Christianese culture. And they're going to stand before Jesus confidently. And Jesus is going to ask them, says, are you saved? And they're going to say, well, I was about to get saved, or I was almost saved, or yeah, I just got saved right now. And the people get saved, they, they think they can make that decision, change their answer right there in for judgment. Lord. And he's going to say, no. You're lost. You, I answered the question wrong. There was no second chance. You got the, the man told me, you got one chance on the phone to answer the question. You have to call back again and start the process over again, which I did. That is what judgment will be like before the Lord. There, the Bible describes judgment for lost people as a weeping and gnashing of teeth. And why? Because there will be people that knew about Jesus. They knew what he did on the cross. They knew that he was resurrected. But they did not make him the Lord and Savior of their life. And there is a sense of, I was mad when I got off that phone because I thought, here, I have to go through this whole process again. That is what it will be like for someone who thinks they're saved Someone who's close to being saved. Someone who's thought about being saved. Someone who's maybe considered it, but they're not. Do you have the assurance of your salvation? Can you confidently say, Jesus is the Lord of my life? Can you look at the Lord and confidently, when you stand before him, says, I am ready, Lord, to receive you. The Bible tells us here in verse... Three, that we are children under wrath, meaning we stand guilty before God without the Lord. That is a picture of a lost person. A lost person can look just like you and I. They're just good folks. They love our country, they love basketball, they even love Major League Baseball. They help out the community, they love their children. But they're spiritually dead, according to God. Keep going to hear your Bibles. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead. Who saved the person here in this Bible verse? But God. God is the one that brings dead people to life. God is the one who saves souls. When we go out among the lost sheep, when we begin praying for folks to get saved, it's not that we're going to save them. We're praying that God will do a miracle in their life, God will take off the blinders of their life, and that they see a great need for the gospel and for Jesus Christ. And he'll use us to even communicate that. That phrase in verse 4, Paul paints this picture of this deadness. These people are standing before God in wrath. But then in verse 4, he comes in and says, But God, our salvation, our dependency comes upon the Lord and Him alone. He keeps on going saying here. He makes us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You were saved by grace. He also raised us up. With him and seated us in the heavens with Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that picture is? That's a picture of heaven. God, when we get to heaven, if you are a saved born again believer, you will look around and see all these millions of souls who were saved by who? By God, by Jesus Christ, and that's his immeasurable riches. We count it worthy that we're saved. We don't deserve it. We deserve the wrath of God. Those first few verses here in Ephesians chapter 2, it's our old way of life, but God delivers us out of. Salvation is realizing that I was saved by the Lord, and therefore I'm going to start living but for the Lord. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is from God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Those good works, when you've been saved, you've been saved for the good works of Jesus Christ. Now, because you are a born-again believer... Broadway Baptist, what does the Lord want us to do? Because we have experienced the immeasurable riches and grace of God. We know there's lost sheep all around us. And we need to start working that they experience what we experience. This is what the Bible calls evangelism. Now, I hope you have your little handout right here. Here towards the bottom, it says, What are some ways to go after the lost sheep? So here's what they are. I want you to follow along. If you want to see folks saved, there's four ways. Number one, there's what we call intentional evangelism. Intentional evangelism is when you and I go up and we directly tell a lost person about Jesus. This is when you pivot a conversation from Kentucky basketball and somehow you pivot it all of a sudden to Jesus. This is how you take a conversation about the weather at work, and how spring's coming, and you turn it to Jesus. It's how you take a conversation about Auburn basketball and you turn it towards Jesus. Whatever conversation you're in, you make it about the Lord. That is one-on-one evangelism. That is something you need to learn to do. And we'll be talking about that in two weeks. Number two, prayer evangelism. That is what we're doing right now. We need to be praying for lost sheep. Why? Because the Bible says they're under the wrath of God. They stand dead. They don't even realize it. There's just dead men walking and women and teenagers all around us here in Lexington. They're dead, the Bible describes them. They have no life, meaning they're spiritually dead. The Holy Spirit does not live in, uh, in their heart. They might even know some things about the Lord, but they really they, they do not know Jesus. Do you know, I remember when I was in college there at Sanford, we were in our college group. We went out and did a witnessing, and we did something called Faith. And Faith was a, a witnessing program with Southern Baptists about 20 or so years ago. And we went into this uh, little area called Southside, and that's where all the bars are. That would be like limestone here in um, Kentucky, right there near the campus. It's the kind of the cool place, the bars and close. So I, we would go there. we have been there a few times on Friday or Saturday night and we go there and engage in conversation and the pivot question that we would ask and it says if you were we we go and engage in conversation with folks and then we would ask them cuz at this place there's just people just standing around doing nothing and we ask them if you were to die tonight would you go to heaven and then that would take the conversation from a um, a uh, just whatever you're talking about all of a sudden to the gospel And I remember, and we had folks saved doing that, and there was a sense probably 20 years ago that the people we were witnessing to, they had some background about Jesus. They knew they had been to church before. They knew who Jesus was. They knew what a cross was. There was some what I would call Christianese language in there. Now, as you witness to people in 2019, you go find the average 25-year-old or any young adult, someone under 40, and you're talking to them about Jesus, some of them have never been to church. Many of them know not a single Bible verse. They know nothing of the gospel. You don't get to start here, like halfway through, and start just sharing the gospel. You have to convince them there's a God. You have to show them who Jesus is. You literally are starting at square one in your witnessing now. Because that's what's happened. That is literally what the devil has done to our culture. Where Jesus and the influence of Christianity has been pushed back. And you just have this lostness all around. When we go out and tell folks about the Lord, we are are telling people, we are praying for people. Some of them know nothing about Scripture. When they think of Christians, they think we're bigots. They think we're closed minded. They think we're people who are just to go condemning others. This is why we are desperate for the power of God. You cannot save with your human efforts anyone. It is solely by the power of God through prayer. You're praying for someone who's spiritually lost to come to know Jesus. Number three, church evangelism. Church evangelism is when you invite someone to church, such as this worship service, and they come here, and they hear about Jesus. They hear about the gospel, and they respond to that. It might, not be, it might be Sunday school. It might be a Wednesday night Bible study class. You're inviting them to church. And then I want you to look at this fourth one, because this is where believers get tripped up. Let's, uh, let me use a couple of folks here for an example. David Humlong's here on the front row. And he's witnessing to Brother Hurd over here. And they work together. And David's an architect. And we'll pretend Brother Hurd's an architect. And they're at work together. And David's telling Jim Hurd about Jesus. And he's telling him, says, Jim, you know, you can trust in Jesus. You can repent of your sins. And he can save your soul. And you can live for him today. And just going through the gospel, telling him the good news. And that's what he did tomorrow at work. Tomorrow morning at 9.04, David's telling Brother Heard about Jesus. Now at 9.15, 11 minutes later, they're, we're still at work, so <laughs> Brother Heard said, well, I'll think about getting saved. 11 minutes pass. David's busy at work and his hard, hard job, stressful. He starts using foul language. He starts gossiping about other coworkers. He starts talking about how much he hates everybody. What has just happened to his witness? And Jim Heard hears all that. Well, do you all see? This is what we call lifestyle evangelism. You're telling someone about Jesus, how much you love the Lord, let ten minutes later you have transformed yourself into someone completely different than you just described. You David just lost his witness. That's Listen, if your talk, if your walk, if your attitude and actions do not line up with what you're talking about with Jesus, they're going to, Brother Hurd's going to look at this man and go, why on earth would I go to that man's church or follow that man's Jesus if he acts that way? Our lifestyle can either help or completely hinder our witness about Jesus completely. You will lose everything you say by losing your temper one time or slandering or gossiping about someone else. Lifestyle evangelism is Jesus' own display in your life through your attitude and actions. Our attitude matters. If you're going to go around being a soul winner and being proud to be a believer you need to make sure your actions line up with that Jesus is looking at us and he's, he's identifying folks who have gone astray and he's thinking who in Lexington is going to start praying begin praying for the lost sheep when is the last time you prayed for a lost person That you said, I'm going to make a commitment, God, to begin praying for one lost person. I listen to podcasts all the time. And I was listening to one about one of the fastest-growing churches, and it's located in Nashville. And they were talking about, the pastors on that church and a couple other leaders of this church, they were talking about, well, what's your secret? You know, everybody wants to know, what's the secret to reaching people for Jesus? And this is what the guy said. He says, if you want to see souls saved, and God to move on a Sunday, you need to come up to the church and begin praying for that on Saturday. And their church's plan on Saturday is they invite the whole church to come up there like at 7 o'clock at night, meet in the sanctuary, and pray for the next day's service. That's it. No Bible study. Nothing else. Nothing special. Just Saturday prayer. Staff was all there. Deacons were there. And they prayed for that next day, the next morning. And do you know what happened at that church? Folks get saved. Lives are being changed. Lost people they've been praying for start showing up or responding to the gospel. Say, well, what's their secret? The secret is they're praying on Saturday for God to move on Sunday. If you know family members, if you have co-workers, If you know anyone, if you want spiritual life to resuscitate your spiritual life, you start praying to the Lord for Him to move. Many of us are desperate for God to move. Plans don't work. Strategies are coming up empty. You're thinking, well, what's wrong? What's wrong is God is looking for people who are saying, I am willing to fall down on my knees and start asking and begging God to begin moving. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to have our time of putting our one in this container. So I want you to pull out your card. And if you haven't wrote your name down, you need to go ahead and do that. And we're going to respond. So I'll start us off. When you're complete, hopefully you have a pen there in your Bible or in the pew. And we're going to put this uh, in the container. You just tear it off. I'm going to tear mine off. I'm going to invite folks right now to come forward. Then once everybody does this, we're going to give these names to God. I'm going to invite our deacons to come forward. So let's do that right now. We're going to put our names in here. Anyone else? You have just made a commitment to God and the Lord's going to hold you accountable. You have just told the Lord, says, Lord, I'm praying for this person. So what we want to do at this time, if you're a deacon here at this church, I'm going to invite you forward. And we want to stand up and stand and we're going to place our hands on this and I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And we're going to give these names that we've just put in here. We're going to say, God, we recognize that these folks are spiritually lost. And Lord, we are going to be faithful in praying for their salvation that we will see someone move from going to hell, separated from God, eternal punishment, getting new life in God's grace and being saved. So men, I want y'all come y'all come in, and let's lay hands. If you can't come in, and anyone else, any other men. God, we give you these names here. Lord, these names are people you died for on a cross. Jesus, we pray that as all of us here in this sanctuary, we see the greatness and the importance of praying people to you. Lord, make us a praying body of believers. Lord, open up our eyes to all the lost sheep around us. Lord, if you're willing to leave the 99 on a hill and go look for the one, help us have that same passion. Help us see in the book of Ephesians how people are spiritually in rebellion from you when they do not know you. Lord, bestow your grace on these these names. Lord, we don't don't know what you're doing in their lives, but Lord, we know that You love them, and you want to see them saved. It's your will, and we pray these folks get saved. I pray for them to see someone, whether us or someone else, be challenged with the good news of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. Lord, we just pray that we see how serious this is, and we are faithful in praying daily for these names. Lord, we give you these names. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. We're going to close our service here with an invitation. And this is an invitation for you to respond to the gospel. You know, the good shepherd, he goes out and he finds the lost sheep and rejoices. The Bible says the heaven rejoices when that is sound. We want to be a church that regularly sees spiritually lost people come to know him. And this is our time to respond. So I am invite everyone to stand up. David Dell is going to lead us in a song. If you want to make a decision this morning, I will be standing down front waiting for you to respond. So let's stand together and we're going to sing. Have I known way?